Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for gathering us here together today. We pray that you might speak to us, Lord God, that you might speak to our hearts, that we would hear a word of hope, a word of truth, a word of joy, and a word of life, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It is so good to see you all today. I brought with me my season pass for Sugar Bowl. Uh, as you know, this is very important to me, right? It might look like a simple card with a hole in it and a lanyard on it to many people, but this is important to me because I love going to Sugar Bowl. Anybody else like skiing? Oh, gosh. I love that feeling, like the cold on your face and then the, the sound of the wind on your helmet, because I wear a helmet now, which is good. Protect the head. There's not much in my head, but I've got to protect what's left. And... And I love this pass because I also use it for my times of reflection in the wintertime, right? I go up there midweek and I spend time reading the passages for Sunday and preparing uh, my sermon, getting things like that ready, which is why my sermons are much better in the winter than the summer, because I have sugar bowl. Um, yeah, it's, it's a special thing for me to go up there and to be able to ski and to have this pass so I can do it whenever I feel like the need to go up there. Now... Is it because of the mountain, or is it because of the Lord that this time is special? What do you think? <laughs> what should it be? What should the answer be, right? I think it, well, could God speak to me anywhere? Do I have to be a sugar bowl? Yes, I do. No. You guys don't think so? I thought this was a whole justification for why I should go skiing more. No, you're right. He can speak to you anywhere. But the danger is, is that I start to develop a Pavlovian response to this skiing thing, right? That I think that the skiing is where God speaks to me, and I begin to worship the mountain and find it as the vehicle rather than the Lord. Right? We have a tendency in our lives to replace the divine and the ephemeral with the real and the tangible. It's a tendency we all have, and it's a tendency we see here in Israel, right? Remember Israel's story. We're uh, in the wilderness with them right now. Uh, what's their story? How'd they, how'd they get out of Egypt? The Exodus. And what happened in the Exodus? Red Sea parted, just pulled apart, and they, they passed through on dry land. Uh, you have the whole Passover before that, which opened the way for them. And then uh, they get out in the wilderness, and where do they get food from? Manna from heaven, right? So somebody was growing manna, right, and selling it. No, it just came like the dew on the ground. It was there every morning. They just had to go and collect it. And water, that was the Alhambra guy, right? That's when his business started, dropping off five-gallon things of water for the water. No, how did, where did they get water from? The rock. And did it come out of the rock before Moses tapped it with his stick? No, it was this miraculous fountain that just sprung out of the rock when God told Moses to hit the rock with his staff. It's amazing. And how was God leading them at this time? Do you all remember that? A cloud by day, a pillar of cloud by day, and a, a column of fire at night. Right? So they had these amazing, tangible signs that God was with them and God was providing for them. And so Moses, their leader... Uh, goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from God. Uh, these Ten Commandments were designed to prepare the people for the promised land which they were getting ready to enter. He said, I've delivered you, I've freed you, here's how we should live to be my people. This is the best way to live. 
And so that was what the Ten Commandments were designed to be for. And so Moses is up there on the mountain, as Cecil B. DeMille portrayed it. Uh, he's up there getting the Ten Commandments, right? But he's up there a little too long. Moses has taken a little too long up there with God, and the people start to get antsy. And who's down with the people then? Aaron, the priest, right? Trouble when they're left with the priest. So Aaron's down there, and the people assume that Moses is dead or has run off. And they're, they're really upset about it. They're worried. What's wrong? Where did our leader go? Did he run off to Vegas? You know, is he, what's going on? We don't know where he is. Maybe he's dead up there. We see a cloud and lightning. Maybe he's up there, and he's not going to come back down again ever. They want to see something. They want someone or something to follow. Now, I can connect with Aaron. Uh, we, when, when we as a family are driving around and we have to make a quick errand, there's two ways we can do it, right? One way with our four daughters is we park, right? find a parking spot, unbuckle everyone out of their seatbelts in their car seats, then try to navigate all of us through the parking lot without anybody getting run over, right? And then get in the store, and what happens in the store when you're making a quick errand? It becomes a long errand suddenly, right? The kids see things they want, right? Packs of gum or whatever, you know? And then it becomes a much more expensive quick errand too, right? So instead of just the five minutes it would take for us to go in there, like it just gets bigger and bigger and it becomes a war. And so option number two is the one we most often take for quick errands. You guys know what that one is? One stays in the car, right? So... Uh, Usually the way it happens is we pull up in the front, I do an e-brake slide to the entrance, right? Tara jumps out as the car is still rolling, runs in there, and then I start doing like um, Great White Shark laps around the parking lot, right? I'm like circling, just waiting. And what's going on in the car? Oh, it's craziness in there. I can't stop. Right, the car cannot stop because as soon as the car stops, right, the kids all want to spring themselves from their seats and start like getting out and everyone wants, so I have to keep it moving so that there's justification for everyone being buckled. Right, so we're going around this thing and I'm coming up with, I got a plan, I've, I've got to come up with a game or some kind of distractive diversionary technique. I'm throwing up chaff left and right trying to get them, you know, distracted from warring with one another or fighting over who's, you know, got more of the seat or the best seats in the car or whatever it is, who can see the birds. You know, there's all kinds, of, and I'm trying, if I had a golden calf, I would be tempted. You know, if I had the ability to make it in the car, I would do almost anything I could to keep those kids quiet until mom came back out of the store. Which seems like forever, right? Five minutes never last so long unless you're locked in a car with four young girls, right? It just takes a long time. And so Aaron, in our story, is in the same situation, right? He's locked up with all these Israelites who are saying... Where's Moses? He's dead. We're lost here in the desert. God has abandoned us. We need something. And so Aaron comes up with a plan. Not the best plan ever, right? <laughs> he says, give me your gold earrings. Let me have them. Give them to me. Then he melts them down, forms them in a mold into the shape of a golden calf. And he says, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Is he right? 
I don't remember a holy cow anywhere in the story. Right? I do not. It seems to be that they've kind of just come up with this. Right? That they've created this image of a calf and are worshiping it now. It has nothing to do with the story. And yet, now the people have something tangible to look at and to worship. You think God was happy to hear this? No, I don't think so either. So the next day, Aaron says, get yourselves ready. Tomorrow we're going to offer sacrifices and have a festival to the Lord. And so the passage says, they rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. That revelry was probably a little wild, I'm guessing. Right? Moses was gone. He's up the mountain. The kids are at home. Right? Things did not go well there. But God, of course, knows what's going on. And he and Moses, they're up on the mountain. He tells Moses what has transpired. And God's got a plan. He's like, Moses, let's just start over from scratch. Let's go just clean slate here. Let me just wipe out all the Israelites. I'll start with you, and we'll rebuild a new nation. And Moses prays and intercedes for the people and says, God, please give them another chance. And so he does. Now, this is an amazing story, this whole golden calf and and all the aspects of it. Because it shows how quickly people can get diverted from worshiping God. It shows how quickly they can get distracted. Because where did they get breakfast that morning when they began to worship the golden calf? The manna, right? It was clearly from God. And where did they get a drink of water that day? From the rock. And what was up on the mountaintop that they could see? A cloud and fire. God was clearly there. And yet the people were so willing to immediately slide off track. Now there's also an interesting twist that happens in this story. Uh, When Aaron decided to make the golden calf, where did he get the gold? Do you all remember that? The earrings. Where do you think the Israelites got those earrings and all the gold that they had? From the Egyptians. If you think back a few weeks in our readings... When the Israelites were leaving Egypt after the Passover, the Egyptians, God gave the Egyptians this desire to give the Israelites their gold. So they left, like, just, you know, their pockets bulging with gold. So this very gold that had been given by God, basically, because the Israelites did nothing to earn it, was the same gold which was then smelted down to become the image of this idol that they worshipped to deny the very God who gave it to them. Does that make sense? Well, it doesn't make sense. But it does. You know, it's, it's this strange pattern in which God provided for them and their very provision became a tool by which the people denied God. This heightens the irony of the casting of the golden calf. The people were using gold that God had clearly showered upon them to make an idol to supplant him in their lives. Now, the truth that this story reveals is that We and the Israelites were all people who are willing to give to something that we're passionate about. No matter how good or bad it is, right? If we get something in our hearts that moves us, we're willing to give to it and sacrifice for it. Now the danger that we see in this story is that at times we get sidetracked about what's important. Which is why it is such a good thing that we're beginning our stewardship drive today. 
Right? You all know me. You know I love preaching about stewardship. It's one of my favorite things to preach about. And the reason is, is not because, like, it, you know, it gives me a job. No, the reason I love preaching about stewardship is because, is because stewardship is nothing less than freedom. Proper, proper stewardship is nothing less than God releasing us from being held victim to these idols. Think about it. What did the Israelites lose when they worshipped that golden calf? There's several things. Their soul, yeah, they lost that. They lost that worship of God. They they gave themselves to something. And what did the idol give them back in return? Nothing. No, really? No, you're right. Nothing at all. Absolutely right. And so, what did it take for them to make the idol? Their gold, right? So they lost all their jewelry too. So not only did they get nothing in return. But they lost their jewelry, and they lost that worship of the true God who could actually provide for them. They lost that focus that they had had previously, and they turned themselves over to an image, a piece of art, instead of to the God who creates all art. The beauty of stewardship is that it offers us freedom from this painful cycle of idolatry, because all idolatry works in this same pattern. It's all a worshiping of something else, a giving to it, and then an ultimate loss for us in the end. God gives us the opportunity to put our lives into perspective. As the Israelites were being shown, all things come from God. The golden earrings, the manna or the bread from heaven that they found on the ground every day, the water that God miraculously sent out from the rock, the clothes. We haven't read about this yet, but do you know what happened to the Israelites' clothes during their 40 years in the wilderness? (laughs) What's that? They were, preserved. they were preserved. The clothes never wore out in 40 years. Anyone have 40-year-old clothes in your closet? Yeah, but do you wear them every day? Right, I know, yeah. But we don't wear them every day, right? You know, those things that we wear every day, they wear out. The Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years, and the clothes on their backs never wore out, nor did the sandals on their feet. God gave them all these intimate and beautiful ways that provided for their needs and showed them that he was concerned about them and loved them. They were all tangible signs that God gives us everything. In return, he asks us to give back to him, to offer up those things that he's given us, and to say, God, it's all yours. Please let me use it in a way that honors you and gives you glory. That's what stewardship at its heart is. It's caring for the resources God has given us in ways that honor him. Now, in terms of the church and how we function and all that, in terms of giving back or pledging to the church, there's no hard and fast rule. There is no law in these things. 10% or the tithe is given as a number in the Bible, but let your relationship with God be your guide, because there is no law about the tithe. Rather, it is set forward in the Old Testament as a law, but in the New, it is not restated in the same way. We are free to give what God would have us give. What he asks of us is relationship. He says, are you willing to give yourself to me? Are you willing to live your life in worship of me? Are you willing to turn yourself over to me completely? And our response should be yes. 
because he's given us everything. He gave us our clothes, our minds, our hearts, our wisdom, our love, our freedom, our bodies. He gave it all to us. He gives us our jobs, our paychecks. All of it comes from him. Gives us our weather, all that stuff. It all comes from him. And so stewardship at its very heart is saying thank you to God and giving back to him. My prayer for us is that we would be people who would seek to live each day asking God what he would have us do with our time, with our abilities, and with our money. Now I can understand Israel's desire to make the golden calf. That desire to make an idol is all too clear in my mind. It's easy for me to you know, throw money and time at skiing because it's not cheap. right? These things don't grow on trees. If you do, I want to borrow it. Right? They don't. They just, it takes, uh, all the things that we care about in our life take a sacrifice. In the same way, we, our relationship with Jesus Christ requires sacrifice as well. At the very basis of it is God's sacrifice for us. And our response, our faith in Christ, is a sacrifice of us in return, saying, God, I pick up my cross and I follow you. I am willing to be crucified with you. Stewardship flows out of that relationship. It flows out of that love. It flows out of that worship, that concern for God and his concerns. My prayer for us is that we would be people who as a church would say thank you to God by giving him of what he has given to us. That we would return to him a portion of what he has given us. That we would make that available to him so that he could do his great work in this world. My hope for us is that we've been people who've been impacted this year, that our hearts have been touched, that our lives have been changed, that our relationships with our families have been bettered, that we've met friends and, and acquaintances here at church who uh, we are thankful for. May we give out of our thankfulness. May we say thank you to God and turn it over to him so that he can use that gift to expand his kingdom and to touch more and more hearts. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for giving us everything. Lord, you give us so much and, and you ask so little in return, Lord God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for making the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we could have eternal life with you, Lord God. So that we could have forgiveness for our brokenness. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts in this time that you would reveal to us what we should give, how we should give, Lord. And most importantly, we pray that you would give us an attitude of joy as we give to you. Lord, we don't want to give out of compulsion. We want to give out of freedom, Lord, out of thanksgiving for all that you have entrusted us with. It's all yours, Lord. Please keep us from idolatry. Keep us from selling ourselves short for something which does not matter, Lord. And may we entrust ourselves to you, the true and only God, who offers us peace and hope and life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.